in this brand new series called Too Good to Be True. How many know, how many of you have had something that was just too good to be true? How many of you have had something like that happen and you've said those words? This has got to be too good to be true. How many know when it's usually too good to be true? It is. Y'all ever watch some of those infomercials? Any of y'all, any of y'all buy that stuff? Okay. That where they say, you know, they, they're selling it for dirt cheap and they promise that it's going to do something and you buy it and it does exactly the opposite of what it says it's going to do because it's too good to be true. It's so good that it's unbelievable. I think we've all had opportunities and things that have happened in our life. A boss comes in and gives you a bonus or gives you a raise that you weren't expected. And you're like, oh, this is too good to be true. Or your husband puts the dishes in the sink and you're like, oh my God, this is too good to be true. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Okay. <clears throat> or your wife's like, baby, listen, you just stay in the recliner and I'll feed you grapes and all. And you're like, this is too good to be true because it is. It's not happening. We all have those experiences where we've had these things where it's too good to be true. And we're going to be talking for the next three weeks, even all the way up to Easter, on this idea of grace. And grace, when you get down to it, to be honest with you, seems too good to be true. When you get into the story of grace and how God dispenses grace to us and gives us grace, a lot of times it's too good to be true. But it is true. And I want to give you a working definition of grace, and then we're going to talk about what grace is and how it plays out in our lives. Here, if you want to write this down, I don't think it's in your notes. Which, by the way, if you have some notes, wave them at me just so I know you got some notes. There we go. Okay, good. All right, so grace is the goodness of God to undeserving people. Grace is the goodness of God to undeserving people. All of you, including myself, experienced grace this morning. You woke up. That's grace. You breathed breath in. That's grace. You have a home. That's grace. Chuck came and fixed my AC on my second story. We had no AC for three months. Try to sleep when it's 85 upstairs for three months. He fixed my AC yesterday, and I said, this is grace. As I slept at 71 yesterday, it was nice. When you have these things in your lives, the good food is grace. Come on, how many know God could give us no taste buds and it could just be all bland, but not in South Louisiana? It's grace. It's grace. And here's my goal is not that we would just understand the theology of grace, which we'll get into the, the study of grace and what it is, how it works. But my desire is not that we would just understand the theology of grace, but that we would become people of grace. That's my desire. So the title of today's message is called Lost and Found. Next week will be called Forgiven and Free. And then the last one on Easter will be called Death and Life. And so those are what we're going to be looking at for the next three weeks. I encourage you to come every single week because we're going to build on each other. Next week's going to be powerful, I'm telling you already. But Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. If you didn't bring your Bibles, all good. We got them in your notes. And if you didn't get notes, we got them on the screen. Three different ways for you to have it. So it's all good if you don't have it. But Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to read to verse 3 for a minute. And this is what it says. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Who's him? Let's make sure we got all the players in the story. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus, as awesome as he is, 
decides to tell them about a parable. A parable is a, is a story that tries to emphasize a point or a principle. Now, let's, 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 um, let's create the scene here. So Jesus is at dinner. He's at li- lounging at a table, and he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, two, two types of people that most people didn't hang out with. Tax collectors were, were just as well-liked as they are now. Come on, how many know the IRS was hated back in those days too? So how many have to pay taxes? You really hate them. And so the tax collectors were guys who were on hire from the Roman government. They would go to the Roman government and say, hey, listen, we'll get, we'll, we'll get the taxes from the people so you don't even have to worry about it. And then what they would do is they would upcharge the taxes so that way people paid more taxes than they were supposed to. But the thing that really hated people was not just the fact that the tax collectors were cheating them, but the fact that the tax collectors were then giving that money to the Roman government. And if you know anything about the Roman government, the Roman government were, were, were a group of people who would literally go into cities and just kill and destroy whatever was in its way to show their dominance and power. And so the tax collectors were hated because they were funding this domination. And so people hated the tax collectors, and tax collectors knew it. But then there's a second group of people that it talks about, and it talks about the sinners, so undoubtedly the tax collectors aren't even sinners. There's a whole other category of sinners. And these guys are the, uh, these are the cheats, these are the pimps, these are the drug lords, these are the, the women who sell their bodies for money, these are the people that steal. And so these are the type of people that Jesus is hanging out with. And then you got a whole other group of people who are on the outside in a sense looking in, seeing Jesus hanging out with these type of people. And they are what they call the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the pastors of the day. These are the good guys. These are the guys who read their Bible all the time. These are the guys who are praying all the time. These are the guys who would be celibate most of the time. These are the good guys. And so, of course, they can't understand why Jesus, who claims to be the Son of God, would even be associating himself with these type of people. Because we're the good people. Why are you hanging out? with the bad people. Luke chapter 15 is a parable. It's actually not three parables. It's actually one parable. You'll read it in just a minute. It says, so he told them this parable. It's three different stories, one parable with one point. And Jesus is about to share with the Pharisees why he hangs out with bad people. How does a holy, just, perfect God, why does he hang out with bad people? So this is what we're going to get into today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. And we pray that in this time that we have together, that you would illuminate Luke 15, that you would speak to our hearts. God, give us ears to hear what you have to say today. Help me, God, to communicate what you want to say. And God, would your word go forth and do what it does best, God? Would you save people today? In Jesus' name. And everyone said... There are two categories of people that I find in the world. There's people who lose things, and there's people who find things. How many of you know people who just constantly lose things all the time? How many of you know somebody who's constantly finding something? They're always like, they're the ones who are always finding the money on the ground. They're the always one finding the sale. They're the ones always finding the good deals. They're the ones that are always finding the house. They're the ones that are, those are those, I hate those people, by the way. And, and let me just set the record straight. I don't lose things. My wife moves things. <laughs> Let's just go ahead. It's, 
like <laughs> that. That's the look. Don't, don't. And so, no, I, I take that back. I, I do lose things. This just as within the last year, I lost my wallet twice, twice. One and 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 both seem to be at very awesome times. One, we were flying to Colorado to have heart surgery for Joel. And I left my wallet in the front of the pocket of the aisle in front of me in the plane. That was awesome. Uh, and, and I got to the t- ticket counter to go get our rental car. And I'm like, and how many you know that feeling? When you're like, like your heart just went to your toes. You're like, oh my. And then, and then the worst is, the worst is when you know where you left it. That's the worst. Is where, where you know where you left it. Actually, that's probably not the worst. Where you don't know where you left it is probably worse. But, but it's worse when you know it's on a plane going to New York. Okay? That's real bad. So, so anyways, I lost my wallet there. But thankfully, I had some friends that trekked down the airline and we got it back. So, it was awesome. Uh, the other one, though, was I left it at La Rumba. So, that was even worse. So, I had a bunch of my people charging my car. No, they went in. I am Mexican, so I can say that, okay? So, but I left it there, and that was right before Joel's heart surgery in St. Louis. So it's just been awesome. I, I, I tend to lose things. But, and the worst, the part, worst part about that was I had waited a couple days, and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to cancel everything. I canceled everything, and how many you know? <laughs> the next day, I get a call from a La, 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 La Rumba employee. Hey, Josh, I saw we have your wallet. I'm like, you couldn't have called me seven days ago. (laughs) All the cars are canceled. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. But I I tend to, I tend to lose things. Um, God categorizes all of humanity into one of two categories. You and I are in one of two categories. All right, here's the two categories. Lost and found. You're either in one of them. By the end of today, you'll know. You'll know. But he categorizes all of humanity into lost and found. And in Luke chapter 15, we have this story of Jesus hanging out with these sinners. And, and, and the religious people are like, I can't believe it. He receives sinners and eats with them. Which eating with them really meant it was something that was a social thing to show that that was a friend of yours because eating wasn't like our days where it was really quick and fast. It was slow and you spent time with people. And so Jesus goes and he shares this parable in Luke chapter 4. So let's, I mean, Luke 15 verse 4, and this is what he says. Let, I want you to write this down. We'll, 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 put, we'll fill one point in, okay? If you, if you got your notes, write this down. Jesus places infinite value on finding the lost, Jesus places infinite value on finding the lost, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 4. It says this. It says, What man of you have a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So that's the first one. We got the lost sheep. Then he goes and he switches over and kind of changes it up a little bit. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, 
She calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels over one sinner who repents. So we got a guy who's got a hundred sheep, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He loses one. He leaves the 99 to go track down this one sheep. And now, now listen, I'm not great at math. And my mom put me in accelerated math, and I didn't even graduate with honors, so I have a little bitterness there. But I'm not the best at math, but I do know this. I'm under the impression that 99 is greater than 1. Am I right on that one? I feel like I'm right on this one. 99 is greater than 1. And I don't know about y'all, but if I had $99 and I lost $1, I really don't think I would be up at night. I think I would be okay. But for this shepherd, that one had immense value in his life, and he left the 99 to go chase after the one. Then we go into another story, a story of a woman with 10 coins. These coins were of high value. Back in those days when you got married, they would take these 10 coins, and they would actually put these 10 coins in her hair. That was a part of of saying she is married. It was a modern-day wedding ring. And so she loses. Anybody have lost a wedding ring? Don't raise your hand. But um, if you've ever lost something of that value, a wedding ring or something, so she's lost one part of this 10 coins that's extremely valuable to her. And the Bible says she goes crazy. She goes crazy. Look at verse 8. It says, What woman having 10 coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and just sweep the house? That doesn't mean like she's like, oh, it's dirty. (laughs) That's not what that means. It means that she goes crazy. She's lifting up couch cushions and she's looking under couches and beds and she's telling everybody to take off your clothes and we're looking at everything. We're trying to find a look in the laundry room and look in here. She's looking everywhere that she possibly can for this one coin. And then when she finds it, she rejoices about this coin. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever lost a child? Any parents in here? I know nobody wants to admit it. You're all good. But I've lost one in my house. In an 1,100 square foot house at that. Not even the big house. In the small house. I was was doing daddy daycare for my wife. She had gone somewhere, and my boys were being boys and, and got in trouble. And so I told Judah, my, my seven-year-old at the time, I said, listen, you need to go in the room, and Daddy will meet you there, and we'll have a little, little, little Jesus meeting. <clears throat> and, um, and so my son goes, what I think, is into his room, and, uh, and I get back to doing my own thing, and I forget about him. And uh, so Lindsay comes home and, you know, whatever we're doing together. Then, and then so she sees Josiah and Joel playing and stuff. She's like, where's Judah? And I was like, oh, he's in the room. Oh, Judah. <laughs> okay, so I go back in the room and Judah's not there. And so, you know, Judah, where you at? Nothing. Judah, where, where you at? Nada. Nothing. And so at that time, Lindsay is going, where's Judah? And I'm like, oh, he's, he's just playing. He's around here somewhere, you know. <laughs> now, let me say what I didn't do. I didn't go, hey, babe, don't worry about it. We got two more. <laughs> right? 
two more. It's all no problem. Um, I will make more. And so, uh, <laughs> got to slide it in there somewhere. And so, so, so now, mom, Mama Hen is want to know where her baby is. And so now it's not like, hey, Judah, where you at? Judah. It's like, shut up! Shut up! I mean, like, you're sliding the back door, looking in the back, backyard, shut up! And then going in the front yard, shut up! Call the cops! Call the cops! She's like, okay, then all the memories start going. He went into the road, and somebody, some pervert came by, threw him in a van, and just, he's gone. This is no lie. This is, this is how quick it goes. And so I'm doing the, Judah, you better come right now. You won't be in trouble. Just come out. Then I'll beat you after. <laughs> and so finally, finally something says, go look under your bed. And I go and I look under my bed and my son is shaking. <laughs> and I'm like, baby, come out here. Get out here. <laughs> And so he comes out, and I said, baby, what, what were you doing? He said, I, I didn't want to get a spanking. <laughs> well, now you're getting beat. All right. So, needless to say, I did not beat him. God actually taught me a lot in that lesson. But I, I didn't say, hey, you know what? We got two more. It's all good. I and his mother went relentlessly pursuing this boy until we found him. And when we found him, there was rejoicing. There was a little extra something there too, but we rejoiced for we found our son. Somebody didn't take him. And can I tell you this, that the Bible says that Jesus came for the sole purpose to seek and save those that are lost. And he will do whatever it takes to rescue his children. And we know that he will do that because Jesus places infinite value on the lost. Jesus places infinite value on you and me. You and I have infinite value. That is why Jesus is constantly searching for you. And here's the great thing about this story, these two, these two parables, is this idea that, that the sheep didn't come back, the coin didn't come back, the shepherd and the woman went and found them and brought them home. And I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is actively pursuing you. He's chasing you, he's searching for you, he is intimately coming after you because you have great value to him. He doesn't just go, well, I got four other billion people in the world. He's, it's all right. We'll lose one. His heart breaks when his children are lost. And, and, and let me remind you, the story of the shepherd is Jesus. The story of the woman is Jesus. The coin is you. The sheep that wandered is you and me. And this is the story of Jesus actively pursuing his people. And Luke 15, we're going to see in just a minute as we finish out the rest of the story, is all about the love of God coming into cities and suburbs, into our neighborhoods, and finding lost sons and daughters. That's what he does, and he does it well. How many of you are grateful God found you? Can I let you know here, just so you don't get all proud, you did not find him because he was not lost. You were, and I was, and he loved us enough that he came and he found us. So Jesus places infinite value on this. 
Let's continue to read in our story in verse 11. Watch, it says this. Now he, he transitions because, listen, sheep can't talk back, a coin can't talk back, but a son can. And so he's going to transition here to a totally different story. Now remember, we're answering the question here. This is the question that we're answering. Why does God hang out with sinners? Why does he hang out with bad people? That's the question that Jesus is answering in these stories. And this is what he says in verse 11. And Jesus said, now there was a man who had two sons. There's a father in this picture. He's got two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. So let's set the story up. A dad has two sons. Uh, both sons are working for him, which would be the time of, of that culture. The sons would work for the father. Now, in those cultures, the way that it worked is the older son would get three quarters of the inheritance, and the younger sons, all the other sons, if there were multiple sons, would divide up the one-fourth. I love being the oldest child. So, so it just, it wasn't fair, but it's what it was. And so the older son and the younger son are both working. They're working their tails off. And the younger son thinks, why am I doing all this when in the end you're going to get three quarters of all this? I'm getting one quarter of all this. This is a shaft of a deal. And so he goes to his dad and he pretty much tells his dad, I would rather you dead because the only way you get your inheritance is when your father dies. So what he's telling his daddy is, I'd rather you dead, and I want my money. And here's the crazy part of this story. The dad doesn't even bucket. The dad gives him what he wants. He gives him what he wants. The son takes his one quarter of his inheritance, and the Bible says he goes off to a far distant country, and he lives a lavished lifestyle. And I think the scariest part of this story is that the father gives the son exactly what he asked for. Now listen to me when I say this. Many of you feel extremely distant from God, and the reason that is is because God's given you what you asked for. You wanted to be your own person. You wanted to run your own life. You wanted to do your own thing. And you know what the gracious father did? Go ahead. Go. Now let me, let me, let me say this though. You feel free for a season. Because I'm going to say this. Living in sin can be extremely fun or nobody would do it. So living it up and sleeping around and doing what you want and being your own boss and having all that freedom and it feels so free. But let me liken it to jumping out of a plane and it feels free. But the problem is there's no parachute. So you feel free for a while. But I'm going to tell you something. Just because life hasn't fallen apart for you yet doesn't mean you're not going in the wrong direction. Amen. So let me give you my second point here that we learned from Luke chapter 15. And that is this. And we're about to see it in just a minute. Being lost is miserable. Being lost is miserable. See, because here's the, here's the idea. Running away from God starts by feeling extremely free, but it always, always ends in utter misery. 
Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. Always. Always. You can come and sit in on some of the counseling sessions that I've been in over the past couple of months. And this applies to every one of them. That sin always takes us further than we want to go. I, didn't, I, I was only going to here, but somehow I ended up over here. It always costs you more than you want to pay. It always keeps you longer than you wanted to stay. It always does. And, and it may feel great and awesome for a season. And here's the thing. I don't know how long that season of greatness might feel. It might be a month. It might be months. It might be years of this is great. This is good. But just because life hasn't turned upside down yet doesn't mean you're not going in the wrong direction. And living lost and being lost is absolutely miserable. Let me show you. So Luke 15, verse, let's start in 13, and then we'll read to, to 16. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Another word for that is loose living. He lived it up. He partied it up. He did anything and everything that he wanted to do. Now watch this, verse 14. When he had spent everything, spent it all, because that's what you do when you live for yourself. It's all for you. You spend everything. Notice what happens. And this I want you to see is the grace of God. A severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be, what does it say? He began to be in need. He began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And when he was longing, now watch this. Here's the question that we got to ask. Do you think that the son, when the son told his father, I would rather you dead, I want my money. Do you think right then and there he said, and I can't wait to the day I get to go eat with pigs. Do you think he thought that? Do you think that anybody goes and goes, I can't wait to be in jail. I can't wait to lose my marriage. Nobody, nobody is trying to go there. But through the decisions of not wanting to be with his father, now watch this. He was a son in the house to his father. And when he left, he thought he was free. But the truth is, he just became a slave. Because when you don't connect to the Father, you're going to connect to something or someone else. And I'm going to promise you this right now, and you can listen to me, and I will prophesy to you, you will become a slave to whatever that is. It could be your job, it could be money, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be anything else. But when you're not connected to being a son of God, you will be a slave to something. I promise you. I promise you. You will be a slave to something, something you will be a slave to. And here, the son is a slave. He's a slave to this man. And the crazy thing is he's a slave to a man who feeds pigs, and he was a Jewish boy who couldn't touch pigs. Isn't it crazy? He's now even doing something he said he would definitely never do because culturally he could not do that. And yet now he's not only touching pigs and feeding pigs, he's eating the food that the pigs are eating. Being lost is miserable, and some of you in here, you can put on the face and the show to make it look like life is grand and great, but when you leave here and you go home, it is miserable. It's miserable. And maybe you wouldn't be honest enough in here to say it, but you know it, and you lie in bed at night, and you think, is this it? I have lived my life, done what I wanted to do, and and let me say this, some of the wealthiest people in the world are the most miserable people in the world. 
So money doesn't fix it. If sex fixed it, then every prostitute would be the happiest woman in the world. But sex doesn't fix it. And what we cling to and think that this is a job or a success, I love the fact that the Bible says there was a severe, severe famine. You know why? That's the grace of God to remind them, you don't need this. And guess what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring them home. You're going to see. Let's look, in, let's look in verse 17. Write this, write this down. Point number three. You can't be found until you admit you're lost. You can't be found until you admit that you're lost. Hey, any, any of you um, any guys or girls, whoever in here, ever get lost on a trip? Like you ever drive somewhere and ever get lost? You know, before, before, I remember Lindsay and I going and taking a, a trip to Houston. I don't remember if it was for an anniversary or something. We took a trip to Houston. And this was before iPhone. And, and I remember I drove around probably for three hours. And Lindsay's like, I'm starving. And that was like hour one. And, and I drove around for forever trying to find a, I'm like, we've got to find a hotel. We've got to find. And I drove around for forever. And she's like, you're lost. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I am not. I know exactly because I'm from Houston. So I'm like, I know, I know my way around here. But I was lost. <laughs> I didn't know where I was going. And I wasn't fooling nobody. But you can't be found until you admit I'm lost. And so I had to pull into a gas station and go, where am I? <laughs> okay, and he pulls out the map. You know, that was like... <laughs> I know some of y'all don't even know what that is, especially the younger generation. But it's actually, you fold it, and it's a map, and it's got streets and stuff. And so, yeah. So he's like, you are, you are, y'all ever been to a mall? You are here, and this is where you need to be. Okay, but you can't get here until you realize where you are. And so for all of us, the idea of God finding us, he comes after us, but really you can't truly be found until you will admit, I'm lost. I don't know what I'm doing. But we don't want to admit that because we're definitely way too prideful to admit that. But you know what? God allowed circumstances to come to a place that it, he was awakened to this. Watch. Look in verse 17. Verse 17, it says this. But when he, what does it say? When he what? Say, say it out loud. When he what? When he came to himself, there was a, an awakening. He comes to himself, and this is what the younger son says. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So there was awakening. There was an awakening that happened. The Bible says this, that we are all, with the parable of the lost sheep, the Bible says we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all lost. One of the most, probably one of the number one songs in all of the world that most people probably know, if you were to sing it, no matter what country you were to sing it in, is a, is a song written by John Newton, and we all know it here, and we've sang it here, and you've probably sang it in every other church, and even outside of church, is Amazing Grace. The story of that song is John Newton was a, he was a sinner. And, the, and, and if you go back and you read a lot about of his biography, he had a mouth. He actually, they, they called him that he was worse than sailors. He would, put sail, he would make sailors blush 
and how much he was profane in what he did. And, and the story is, is that he was, he was in the military for a time, and then he got out, and then he got into the slave trading business where he would get on a boat and, and, and sold, sold slaves in, in other countries. And the story is, is that he was on a boat to go sell slaves, and a huge, tumultuous storm hit him to the point where they thought it was, it was over. But it wasn't, and they ended up finally making their way to the shore. And when they docked in the shore, the, the story goes that John Newton had a revelation of the grace of God, God's goodness to undeserving people. And he writes the first line of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, now listen to this. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Listen to me. We will never accept the grace of God that he offers us until we realize we're the wretch. We're the wretch. We're the wretch. And this is why Jesus had such a hard time with the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are outside the house looking at Jesus, hanging out with all these sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and pimps. And they didn't see that they were a wretch as well. The problem comes when we don't see ourselves at the table. We see ourselves better than the people at the table. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And if we truly desire God's grace, we have to realize we don't deserve it. Grace is undeserved. And now that the son has finally come to his senses and he realized, like, this is my sin, this was his repentance moment. He sees his sin. He hates what he's done. He's going to go back home. And so now he's going to begin to prepare this come home speech. And so look with me in verse 19 through 23. It says this. And I am no longer. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. This is his speech that he's rehearsing in his own mind. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arises and he comes to his father. But while he was still a far way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father... Now watch this. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, shut up. He didn't, but it's kind of what he said. Because he doesn't even listen to the rest of his, of his story that he wants to share. The father says, this is what he says. The father says to his servants, bring quickly the, the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hands and put shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us celebrate and eat for this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. Write this down. Point number four, grace is not earned, it's only received. Grace is not earned, it's only received. Christianity is the only religion in the world that views salvation as not being earned. Listen to me on this. Christianity is the only religion that salvation is not earned. Every other religion in the world, you have to earn your salvation. Buddhism, Mormonism, whatever it is, you've got to work for it. And grace in this picture is a story of us 
Receiving something, not earning something. The younger son receives grace. He didn't earn it. How many know that son didn't earn anything but a butt kicking? He spent a quarter of his daddy's money. He went and lived it up, ruined his dad's reputation. And he comes home and the daddy embraces him. Read this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10, one of the greatest verses probably in the Bible says, God saved you. (laughs) God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Salvation by definition, Pastor Bubba talked about this last week, is a gift. And a gift ceases to be a gift when someone tries to pay them back. I have yet to ever have my sons at Christmas time when I give them a gift to go, Daddy, we'd like to pay you back for this one. <laughs> Please. They're like, what else? What else? Good. Got that one. You know? Why? It's a gift. And a gift was never designed to be paid back. And if it has to be paid back, it's not a gift. You can tell some of your friends that, all right? Salvation is a free gift. Now, here's the great thing about all this. If salvation and grace is a free gift and you can't earn it, you can't lose it. Some of you need to hear that. If you can't earn it, you can't lose it. God doesn't give a gift and go, oh, that's psych. Doesn't do that. Let me show you the difference between religion and grace because this son is coming back and he's got his whole prepared speech of how he's going to come back and he's going he's to work for his son. Notice now he's not going to be a son. He's going to be, I'm going to be like a hired hand. I'm going I'm to serve my, my dad and I'm going to work my way back to being a son and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what he does because my servants get, get uh, eat well and so I'm going to go back and be a son. And that's what religion does. This is, let me show you what religion does. Religion says clean up your mess. And grace says, Jesus cleaned up your mess. Religion says, do more. Try harder. Grace says, Jesus did enough. Religion says, hide and run and don't come back. Grace says, confess and come. Two totally different things. And how you know if you are Stuck in religion and grace is when you sin, do you run and hide? Or when you sin, do you run to Jesus and confess and let him heal? Because if you run and hide, you've bought into this idea that your relationship with God is based off of how awesome you are. But it never was that. Your relationship with God was never based off of how good you were. And for those in here that you relate... If we were to split the room, everybody in here relates to one of these two people. You either relate to the, to the tax collectors and sinners because of the lifestyle that you're living right now, or you relate to the Pharisees and scribes because you condemn every person who drinks and does all that stuff. In this story, you relate to the younger son who goes and does all the stuff and wild living and all that, or you're going to relate to the next guy who's the older brother. We'll get to him in a minute. But let me say something to those who relate to the sinner those who relate to the guy who's messed it up and blown it, and you think that by some reason you have done way too much to, for God to forgive you and heal you and help you. Can I tell you this? It doesn't matter what you have shot into your veins. The grace of God is greater than that. 
It doesn't matter what you've put into your system. The grace of God is better than that. It doesn't matter what you've hurt somebody or somebody's hurt you. The grace of God is bigger than that. And it'll heal and help whatever you've walked through. Your sin is not greater than the grace of God. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Okay, good job, Pastor Josh. I, I pray you understand grace. Now watch what happens and let's wrap this whole thing up. So verse 24, the dad says, my son has come home. He's alive. He was lost. Come on, let's party it up. And verse 25, now watch this. Here's the older brother. The older brother, he's in a field and he comes home and he hears some bumping music happening. And he's going, oh man, we got a party. This is awesome. And so he's coming, he's getting, and he calls to one of the servants. He says, what's the party about? What's going on? And this is what the servant says to the brother. Hey, your brother's home. Your father has killed the fatted calf. We got filet mignon on the menu. The party's bumping. People were invited over because he's received him back safe and sound. Now here's the big key, verse 28. But he was angry. And now watch this. He refused to go in. Remember, the story of, why is Jesus talking about these stories? Because we're asking the question, why does Jesus hang out with sinners? Who refuses to go in and hang out with Jesus and the sinners? Pharisees. Pharisees. Okay. I want us to continue, go back to that story of why Jesus is saying this. So now guess what? Now guess who he's talking to? So the beginning, when he's talking about the younger sons, all the tax collectors and Pharisees that are lounging, eating dinner with them, they're like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, their heart is being moved. Wow, he would accept me back. And all the Pharisees are like, what? And then Jesus goes, oh, and I got something for you guys too. There was an older son. And when he saw that these people were, that this son was welcomed home, he got angry and he wouldn't even go in the house. Now watch what happens. His father, now watch this. His father came out and entreated to him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. Now notice, servant speaks of what? A, a son or a servant? Serving someone speaks of a son or a servant? A servant. A servant. Now notice how the, how the son is explaining his relationship with his dad. I have served you like a servant. Not a son, but as a servant. Notice when the younger son was going to come back home, what did he say he would do to his father? I will I'll serve you. Not a son, a servant. Now watch this. I have served you. Look, I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Well, that's not true because he wouldn't come in the house. So he did. He's a little self-righteous. Yet you have never given me a young goat. I mean, you do like filet mignon. Like you wouldn't even do caprito for me, okay? You won't do anything for me that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, now notice, it's not even his brother anymore. How many know when your kids discipline, you're like, hey, will you fix your child? You know, you tell it to your wife. That's your son. Okay, that's what's going on here. The brother is like, that's, that's your son. It's not even my brother. Your son that came home who has devoured your property with prostitutes. Now, here's the question. How did he know that? I don't know. Anyways, we'll get there. All right. You killed the fatted calf for him, and he, said, and, and he said to him, son, you're always with me. Now, this is the father's reply to the older son. You're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And if, 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 if it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now 
he is found. Listen to me when I say this. The greatest hindrance we have. Now, I'm talking to every Christian person in this room that has gone to church for an extended amount of time. Listen to me. The greatest hindrance that we have as Christian people to receiving the grace of God is not our great sin, but it's our empty good deeds. I know I wouldn't get a lot of amen on that one. I know. Because y'all want me to go after the sinners, not you. I understand. Um, I, uh, one of the things my boys love to do is to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Come on, got any Chuck E. Cheese people in the house? I love to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I blame it on my boys. The boys want to go to Chuck E. Cheese, babe. All right, we need to take them to Chuck E. Cheese. All right. Now, uh, the, over the past couple of years, because of, Joel's, because of Joel's sickness, we can't go to Chuck E. Cheese because Chuck E. Cheese is also germ disease face place, you know, so there's germs everywhere. So we haven't been able to go to Chuck E. Cheese with Joel, and so we have this running joke in our house because uh, we take the other boys on secret missions to go to Bucky B's. That's code word for Chuck E. Cheese. And so, so the boys come home from their nanas, and Joel's there. They're like, we went to Bucky B's. Okay, so... So anyways, at Chuck E. Cheese, how many know you don't, you don't go to Chuck E. Cheese for the pizza, first off? We know that, okay? You don't, you go for the games, okay? And how many of you know, like, that some of those games are extremely addicting, addicting. I mean, you're paying, like, $300 for whack-a-mole, you know? I mean, that's skee-ball. How many of you with me on that one? Skee-ball. I mean, it's like, and you're like, ah, oh. one more time. <laughs> okay, one more time. And then, and then they'll, they'll tease you because it's like, and you're like, two more times now. Okay, I've got, I got, and I mean, it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And you, you're, getting all, you're getting all these tickets. You're getting all these tickets. Now, how many you know you're going to go spend about $400 on whack-a-mole and skee-ball? And, you're gonna, and, and if you see any man that's like 40 years old and he does all this, he's weird. So get out of there. Um, <laughs> if you... If you see an older guy like this, go. Just, like, take your kids and, like, let's, let's go. So you see, him, you see him holding all these tickets, okay? And uh, usually this is me with all of my kids' stuff. And, uh, and so you got all these tickets, and you go to that ticket counter after spending $350 uh, of, of, on all this stuff, and you go over there to go, go get you something really nice, you know, like a, like a sucker, I'll take those plastic lips, too. <laughs> Joe, what you want? I'll, I'll take that little fake lizard over there. How, what about that lava lamp? Oh, no, that's, that's 37,000 tickets. You have to spend another $400 to get that one. I'm sorry. Do I have any parents that relate to this one? Amen. Come on. Gaddy Town's just as bad, all right? All right, it's all, it's all Chuck E. Cheese, okay? It's all Chuck E. Cheese. Let, let me... Let me now, let me, let me say how, okay, this, these tickets don't really buy much in Chuck E. Cheese. Let's be honest. They, they don't get you much. And most of it's going in the trash before you even get home. And so you're like, you better suck on that sucker. That's like $300 sucker. That's a good sucker. So anyways, so don't buy much, right? Now, imagine if I was to say, you know what, guys? I got an idea. Let's take these tickets, and then let's go over to Bubba Ostelet. And they got this new Z2871, whatever it is. They got this nice truck, got this nice Camaro. And I went up to the guy and I said, listen, I really like that truck. And he's like, it's nice. I said, yeah, I'd like to buy it. Oh, yeah, cash or credit. Um, Chuck E. Cheese tickets. <laughs> you cool? You cool with Chuck E. Cheese tickets? 
That guy would be like, excuse me, I gotta go get my manager. And then he would call the police. And they would, okay. And imagine, I, I left, okay, maybe, you know, maybe blah, 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 so that's not gonna take it. So, so I go over to, you know, Java Jolts and give me a big old tall, tall, haha, <laughs> uh, she's not here. So large caramel macchiato or white chocolate mocha. Christy's like, hey, you know, 450. Okay. Is that 20 tickets or is that how many? Come again? Is that, yeah, I got, I got plenty of tickets. You can have as many tickets. You want, you want some more tickets? No, we, ain't, we, don't, we don't take those tickets here. Now listen to me. Isaiah says that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. They have no credit. And for all of my church people up in here, you think that your relationship with God is so awesome because you got so many tickets. Look at all my tickets. Prayed three hours this week. I witnessed to somebody the other day. This one, I read my Bible, like all of Matthew during January. And this one, I fasted. I mean, God's got it like that one. I fasted for him. And so I did all that. And, and we're just collecting tickets. And we think that somehow by collecting all these tickets, God is just like, oh, you are the ticket master. Come enter into your joy and rest. Bring all those tickets with you. Don't mean squat to God. You, we bring these tickets to him and he goes, get that on my face. I don't mean anything. And for those in here that are the tax collector and sinners and you've been living it up, you know what you go after? Instead of going after Jesus, you're going after trying to get more tickets like everybody else. So you think coming here to church is going to get you a couple tickets and good with God. and You know, putting some money in the offering plate. God's got to see that. That's got to make him happy with me. You see that, God? And God's like, I don't care about your tickets. I want you. Because grace is not earned, it's received. You don't get grace because you got so many tickets. And you don't lose grace when you got no tickets. You get grace because it's received and not earned. God gives each and every one of us grace because of what he's done. He paid for all the tickets. He did all that. You don't have to buy any tickets. Now, that's, that's, is that to say you don't need to read your Bible and pray? No, but we're not doing it to earn something. We're doing it because we already got something. I don't pray and read my Bible and give to this church and serve relentlessly and do what I do because I'm trying to earn God's approval. I'm doing it because I already got God's approval. And for all of those that are in here, when you're found and when you receive the grace of God and salvation, you're not trying to work for it. You're not trying to work. You're working now from it. You're here. I'm in the family. I am a son. I'm not a servant. I'm a son in the house. And for those in here that have believed in Jesus and you've received his grace, you are a son, no longer a servant. You're not working for something. You're working from something. God, that's some good preaching. I will amen myself through this whole thing. Number five. Let's wrap this thing up, okay? Number five, grace doesn't kick us when we're down. It rejoices when we're found. Grace doesn't kick us when we're down. It rejoices when we're found. I pray this is said of our Savior's church. 
The shepherd, the woman, and the father do exactly the same thing. That's why it's really one parable, not three parables, because they all do the same thing. Something gets lost, they go track it down and find it, and when they find it, they celebrate. All three of them do it. Let me show you. Luke 15, 6, let's go fast. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Luke 15, 9, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Luke 15, 24, this son was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found and they began to party it up. The question that I have, though, is you have to wonder how much effort and energy that that shepherd put in to go find that sheep. I think that that's what astounded the Pharisees so much, was how he received the sinners back. Imagine the toil that that shepherd had to go through to find that one. Imagine all the heartache that that woman had to go through to find that coin. And instead of uh, the, 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 son, the father, when he sees the son, that he, he runs after him, which was totally uncommon for Jewish men to do because they didn't run in robes. You just don't do that, okay? And he runs in a robe and he greets his son and he rejoices with his son. You have to wonder. I, I, I feel... I am the older son. I get really mad at the fact that I obeyed all these rules and he disobeyed all the rules and you're doing something for him because that's my heart and my heart has been exposed a lot in this journey as the older son. Because you gotta realize, the older, you imagine, the older son watches parents' pain Hey, let's not downplay this. That younger son did it up. And so you can imagine that we don't know how long that process was. It wasn't a day or two. It could have been months. It could have been years. It could have been a decade. We don't know how long this story actually was. And can you imagine the son always coming in and hearing his parents talk about the pain that their younger son put them through? And so I can imagine what the younger son, he's mad. I mean, he, he's hurt us. He took from us. He did all this stuff. Like, that's legitimate pain. I'm frustrated. No, I don't want to go in that house and see that boy. He's caused more pain in our family than anybody else has. Why am I going to take him in and go celebrate with him? He needs to go on the outside and work his way back in. But that's not grace, and that's why it's too good to be true. Because grace isn't earned, it's received, and grace doesn't kick us when we're down, it rejoices when we're found. And I'm glad that this tithe is entitled after me because it would have said, the shepherd that finds the sheep and then kicks the sheep. That's what mine would have said. We have a dog named Olive that goes and we, we, you know, we let her outside to go pee, and sometimes she wants to go on a journey and not return. And I know when that's happening because if Lindsay's out there, she's like, ah! And I don't, you know, when she finally comes back after 20 minutes or 30 minutes or however long it is, and she finally comes trampling in, I'm not like, let's throw a party. Olive's home. Like, get in there. You are staying in the sunroom for the rest of the day. You will learn. That's what I, that's, okay, I have to, I'm sorry. I'm repenting today of what I do to my dog. That dog's going to pay for it. But I'm going to tell you this, we take that same mentality, we do it, I'm telling you, we take the same mentality and we put it on God and we think we've so lost with the touch and the character of God because we think he thinks like we do. And we think that God is going to treat us 
in, when we come home the way that your daddy did or the way that you would want to do to somebody else who did that to you. But God is totally different, and that's why it's grace. Because you don't deserve a welcome home party. You deserve to go sit in the corner and think about what you did and pay us all back. You deserve that. But grace is undeserved. It's unmerited. You don't, we don't earn it. We receive it. And grace rejoices when we're found. And we think that God often is kicking us when we're found. That's why you don't come back to church when you backslide. Because you think that God's going to kick you or... Usually it's not God's going to kick you. People in here will do it for him. I know I'm preaching. I know. But that's why I pray, I pray, I pray that as our Savior's church, we would be so gracious to those that are lost. We'd be gracious to those who are still struggling. We'd be gracious to those who are still hurting. Because the truth is you are too. You just masked it really well. Jesus is making it abundantly clear in Luke 15 that he cares more about our return than he does about our past. And the gospel of grace is almost too good to be true. But I'm here to tell you, it's true. It's true. Hey, would you bow your head in this place? Father, we love you. I want to give an opportunity right now for those in this room, whether you are living a just me-centered, I-do-what-I-want-to-do type of life, you probably walked in here with shame, guilt, frustration. When I talked about being lost as being miserable, there's a part of you that's like, yep, I know exactly what that's like. I know exactly what that. Or maybe you're in a season right now where it's not miserable. It seems great, but you know you're not serving God. You know you're not doing anything that he's calling you to do. And the Father is lovingly, intensively searching for you. And the fact that you're at our Savior's Church, Jennings Campus, on March 21st, in this room, at this moment, is the grace of God. And he is giving room and he's giving space for you to respond and to come home. And there's nothing more that Jesus would love to celebrate in. There's nothing more that heaven and the angels would want to celebrate in is the fact that you come home. Now, with that being said, there's those of you in here that you've been lost, but you've been lost in church. You have been in church for maybe years, but you still have not understood the grace of God because you think that your relationship with God is based off of how good you've been, all your tickets that you've earned, But the truth is, you're getting a revelation, even this morning, that I need the grace of God just as much as anybody else. That we're all sinners. We all fall short. The grace of God is here for all of us. The goodness of God to undeserving people. If that's you in this place, with no shame, there's no shame in here. We're all broken people in need of Jesus. If that's you in here and you say, Pastor Josh, would you pray for me? I want to get saved. I want to be born again. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to come home. If that's you all across this room, would you just throw your hands all over the air? Come on. Throw them up. Awesome. Awesome. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Praise God. Fourteen. Fifteen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hand down. Hmm. Jesus, we celebrate this moment. The Bible says that the way that we come to salvation in Christ is all that we do is we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We repent of our ways, meaning we see the sin, we see our selfishness, we see that we put ourselves in the center of our life, and we say, Jesus, you're now Lord of my life. We know that Jesus paid for every sin that we committed. 
that there's nothing that we need to do to make ourselves right. It's all because of Jesus. That's all that we have to do. I want to lead you in a prayer. And the rest of the church, you can pray this with me. Say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus for my place. Thank you for taking my sin on the cross. Thank you for giving me a new heart. I repent of selfish living. I repent of doing my own thing. And today I surrender my life to you. From this day forward, I'm new in Jesus. I'm forgiven and I'm free. And if you believe that, would you say amen? Come on, let's celebrate all that God has done today. Now, I, I want to close with actually one last thing. Um, we have family members that are still far from the Lord. And Lindsay and I are always praying for our own family members that don't know the Lord. And there are some of you in here that you have a prodigal son or daughter or mom or husband or friend or whatever. But they need Jesus. And really the only thing that we can do is we can pray. Because remember, God is actively seeking them. And then we can love. And here's the best thing that you can do for people that are prodigals. You can make sure that your home is ready for when they come home. Because if your home is jacked up when they come home, they won't come home. Y'all with me? But I wanna pray right now this is what I want to do. Would you stand? If you have someone that you're believing that would come to know the Lord, would you stand? I want to pray for you. Wow. Mm. Come on, we're going to pray together as a church. I'm believing for, for it to happen quick. I'm believing for it to happen the next three weeks. Anybody with me on that one? Now, it might not. It might not, but I'm going to, I'm going to pray right now that God would act, I believe right now we're living in the darkest days, but we are living in the, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. Yes. And that's the promise that we have. So would you just lift your hands where you are and I want to pray over you because you're the one that's got to minister to these people. God is using you. So Father, we pray right now, Lord, I pray over every person in this room, God, that's got a family member, a spouse, God, a son, a daughter, a friend. God, Lord, that you would use them. God, we pray right now, God of heaven, would you continually, actively pursue these people? Would you seek them? God, we will not stop praying until they are found. We will not stop. God, I pray, Lord, by the Holy Spirit that you would go. Would you open blind eyes? God, would they have an encounter with you like the prodigal son where they came to themselves? God, we thank you, Lord, that you do that. We don't do that. You do that. So, God, we put all that pressure on you. God, you're the Savior. We're just the sower. And I pray, God, right now for each person in this room, God, that we would have homes that extend grace, 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 grace to those who have hurt us. God, to those who have abused us. God, to those who don't deserve it. But, God, we didn't deserve it either. 
So God, as we've been recipients of your great grace, I pray that we would be distributors of even that greater grace to those that are around us, God. Use us this week in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and our schools to shine Jesus in those places. And may we see more people come to know Jesus in this next month than we ever have in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.